You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. All right, everybody. Happy Monday. Hopefully, you had a great weekend. Let's see. I'm recording this on a Sunday. And I was able to go out and do a little shed hunting with my wife today. And it was kind of a crazy day. We tried to bring the kids with us first. That didn't work out so well. So we dropped the kids off at grandma's house. And then me and my wife were able to uh, go and hit a couple properties really quickly. I think we did a total of maybe two hours of shed hunting today. But that's better than nothing. And we ended up finding four sheds uh actually five one was like a broken tine that i just happened to stumble on but my wife found the first shed of the day and my wife found the biggest shed of the day so that's i mean that just continues to get her out when when uh, she finds sheds and i actually like shed hunting with her because as the more i introduce her to shed hunting and hunting the more she wants to be involved and that's great for me because that means that I can spend time with her in the timber and do what I love and be with the person that I love so it's a win-win scenario so to all the guys out there who you know think that I just got to keep the wife at home and go do my thing try to get them out try to get them involved and incorporate them in in some of the stuff maybe not like the all-day sit you know don't throw them right into an all-day sit uh hunt maybe ease them in with you know some fishing or some shed hunting and that's kind of what i'm doing and uh and now my wife likes to go pound some ground with me man i'm, I'm telling you if, if i had the opportunity and you know She's breastfeeding now, so she has to pump every so often or make sure the baby feeds every so often. But next year when we do our shed hunting trip, she's going to go out eight hours with me. And it's going to be awesome because we can really pound some ground then. So that's what I did Sunday. Now, Saturday, I actually went to the ATA show. 
the ATA show. I'm an idiot. I went to the Iowa Deer Classic. And I tell you what I love about that this show, okay? And speaking of the ATA show, you go to the ATA show. It's all about products. It's all about money. It's all about brands. It's all about showcasing people and all this bullshit that is kind of not what I feel hunting is all about anyway then i go to the iowa deer classic and it's a consumer show right so anybody can come in and in my opinion that is a true reflection of what the hunting community is all about right and uh you i i walk up and down the aisles i get to talk with people that i know uh from going there throughout the years know from just being a deer hunter you know people come up they introduce themselves to me because you know they know me from the podcast and that that my friends is awesome because that right there is what I what I feel is the hunting community and I think there is a big difference between the hunting industry and the hunting community I, I feel like the people that the hunting companies are trying to communicate with as far as marketing is concerned and communicate with their products are not the people that I know at at the the show so it just baffles me uh what the hunting industry is trying to do and and how the hunting community reacts to that so it's something that I would love to learn more about but I have my own opinions on all that crap anyway uh and I tell you what I also like about the consumer shows is you walk in there, it's about 9, 9.30 in the morning, and people are already cracking like double tall boys. They're the silos. I call them silos. But they're the 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 like 30-ounce beers, I think, cans, or the biggest ones they make, 24-ounce cans or whatever. And uh, people are walking around having a good time, you know, eating jerky, looking at some products, looking at uh, the big buck wall, the shed wall. That's my favorite thing to go do. And uh, just uh, bullshit with buddies, man. That's what it's all about. While I was there, I had the opportunity to do four interviews, all right? So I had... I had to drive all the way from my hometown to Des Moines, do four interviews, then turn around and drive all the way back just so I could spend, you know, time with the family in the evening. So it was a really quick trip for me. But in this time frame, I was able to interview four people. The first guy, which is on this podcast, his name is Eric Klein from trophy bucks of iowa it's just a facebook page and we'll get into that uh returning guest buddy pyland from ozonics and another returning guest craig intervald also kind of working from uh working with ozonics but uh we get into a, a good conversation with that and then i also had the opportunity to interview donnie vincent and that podcast is going to launch on wednesday of this week so be sure to check that out really good interview there and uh yeah i think uh it turned out well um just you know three this podcast is going to be three random guys that uh i just wanted to touch base with got some good content coming for you and i did it all at the iowa deer classic so i hope you enjoy this hodgepodge of podcasts that i have coming today let's see today is commercial is bighorn outfitters and um 
like me, you know, I, I dream of hunting the West and I dream of hunting a variety of species, elk or bear or mule deer or antelope or whatever, you know, everything. I dream about everything. And if you're the kind of guy who maybe doesn't have enough time to do the scouting and make multiple trips out there to scout and look on public land, an outfitter may be a very good, op, you know, a very good choice for you. And uh, out in Wyoming, there's a guy I know. His name's Dustin DeCrew. I met him at the ATA show a handful of years ago, and uh, we became friends. He runs an outfitting business, and uh, it's called Bighorn Outfitters. So you can go check out bighornoutfitters.com. Call Dustin if you have any questions about maybe uh, booking a hunt for 2019. Uh, I think, or, or 2018, 2018, 2019, uh, my dad, my stepdad is getting ready to go on a antelope hunt in October in Wyoming at Bighorn Outfitters. And, uh, I'll tell you what, man, he is jacked for it and I'm, I'm jacked for him too. I, I think he's going to do a real good job. And, and Dustin says that uh, as far as an, hunting an antelope with a rifle is concerned, that uh, the success rate's pretty high. So I'm excited for everybody on that end. I'm a little bit jealous too that he gets to go and not me. But that's that's a different story. Other than that, I think I'm done jaw jacking here. Let's get into today's Iowa Deer Classic podcast with three different dudes. Have a good experience with this. Okay, I'm fading. Let's get into the podcast. All right, here we are at the Trophy Bucks of Iowa booth at the Iowa Deer Classic, and I'm sitting here with Eric Klein. How you doing, man? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Now, I tell you what. I went to the ATA show this year, and it's a completely different crowd, right? I mean, everybody there is trying to do business, and it's all, it all revolves around money yeah. and all that shit. And I love this show and the, the consumer shows that happen, like the Illinois, Madison, Wisconsin, the, those Deer Classics, Ohio, all those. All those. Common gun-toting folks. Oh, dude, <laughs> just a completely different vibe. Everybody here loves deer hunting. And, you know, I see families and I see people that are, you know, they, they look at the big, the big buck wall and it's just a different vibe and I love it. Yep. I love it, I love it, I love it. And I have a feeling that that is kind of the same, I'm trying to put it into words here, but the same people that are that are involved with trophy bucks of iowa yeah so it's a yeah so we're not your typical like hunting page or we're not, we're not, a, not a tv show right so I, about a little over two years ago um i returned i got well several years ago i got injured in the military right and uh got medical retired and i wanted to i'm from iowa um so then on deployment got injured and i was like we're gonna move back to iowa air force medically retired me and i'm like one day over Thanksgiving, a little over two years ago, I was sitting on the kitchen table at my parents' house on Thanksgiving, and I'm like, you know, I'm going to create this, create a page for me and my friends and family just to share hunting photos and right. enjoy it. Yeah, it says trophy bucks, but the trophy isn't absolutely. It isn't big. A trophy isn't the eye of the beholder. A trophy is something, it's the memory, it's the experience. Right. And some guys aren't lucky enough to have 100 acres of land to themselves to hunt right. every day. Or right. Some guy might hunt once a year on public land, and he gets a 
certain size deer, he's happy with it, that's a trophy. Right. So I wanted to make everyone celebrate everyone's individual success, not necessarily their success. Yeah. So, like, I think our page has been so successful because it's not about me or Brandon, Ryan, or Mark who run the page. It's about everyone in Iowa. If you right. send us a picture and the picture's in good taste, we're going to share it. Yeah. And we're going to celebrate it. And Absolutely. We're not, no one's going to bash it. And if someone does bash it, they're off the page. Right. So, like, that, so people come, you see people walking by, they're looking for their photo up here because yeah. we share everyone's photos. And it's not about us, it's about them. So, right. And I, I didn't, uh, like, you see I have merchandise here. And it didn't start out like that at all. I, I had a logo made, and people were like, hey, I want to buy a hat. I want to buy a decal. I'm like, I don't have those. Yeah. So I got them, and then it just kind of blew up. And now all the shields in Iowa are selling my I hats and shirts. So it's I just saw kinda, that. Yeah, it's unexpected, but it's just kind of a little fun hobby. And um, we like, I like celebrating people's successes. We're not like right. big jealous hunters. <laughs> we're here to celebrate hunting and get people involved and have fun. So. Right. And that's one thing I really like about your the Facebook page is, you know, you think trophy bucks and you think, you know, all these booners are going to be up on there, but you got first-time kids. Yep. And you got... Shooting does. Yeah, shooting exactly. Yep. Exactly. Brings back the fun of all this. And I think that's one thing that's definitely missing from the hunting industry is it's so... It's all about antlers. And yeah, and there's so size. much competitiveness and yeah. secretiveness and I don't want to tell you where I hunt. And yeah. Well, I understand that. There's people that want to hunt that way, but... It's just fun. Like, I enjoy more spending time in the cabin with my dad and brothers and uncle right. and cousins than I do actually sitting in the stand all the time. It's, <laughs> it's just a social thing, hanging out with your friends and being a part of it. Right. So, so this this thing that you started, did you ever think it was going to get this big? No, I just thought it was going to be fun. I even when I, I was kind of ignorant at times. I, I, I didn't realize there were lots of other social media pages. Yeah. I, I didn't really follow hunting much on I was out in the Air Force 10 years. I didn't really pay much attention to it, and I got back, and I created it. Once I created it, I saw, man, there's a lot of stuff going on. People aren't going to follow this because there's so much stuff going on. But right. something about it just kind of, like, clicked, and people just right. started loving it. So. Right. So you had enough. I mean, you got about 60 different <laughs> T-shirts behind you. Yeah, I know. I'm hoping people buy some so I can pay for them. <laughs> <laughs> pay for the booth space? <laughs> yeah, Exactly. It's, it's definitely not a moneymaker. It's, right. it's more of a fun hobby. So. Right. And, and one thing I, I really like about the, uh, um, the the shows like this is it's 9 o'clock in the morning, and I, I walk in, and I instantly see people pounding beers. Yep. That doesn't happen at the ATA show. Yeah, exactly. And they're, like, and they're big ones. Right. They're the, they're the tall boy's older brother, like they're the silos. They're 25 what. ounces, yep. <laughs> so there's going to be some people who are good in sauce before noon even hits today. Oh, for sure, for sure. It, which, what, uh, one thing that uh, I... Uh, I noticed that they used to have at this show. I don't know how how many years have you been coming to this. Well, so actually two years ago to this show, I was walking around by myself with the pages brand new. I was handing out decals, saying, hey, (laughs) send me your picture. We'll post it. And the next, last year I had, last year I, uh, well, shortly after that show got a little bigger. Yeah. I brought um, my twin brother and Ryan Boynton and Brandon Domson to help out his friends. And, uh, Last year we had our own booth. And yeah. We had, I think we had twenty thousand Facebook followers at the time, but we were, I think we were the busiest booth last year at the Deer Classic, and that's I think awesome. we're probably going to be one of the busiest this year. Yeah. That's we got awesome. complaints last year. People couldn't get through because there's people just piled up at our. <laughs> that's so, they, not, so they moved us over here where there's more room a little bit on a. On a corner. Yeah. Well, that's not your problem. <laughs> so, how was your season this year? So, if we followed our Facebook page, like, so I have three boys. I live up here in Ankeny, Iowa. Right. I, all my hunting lands down in southwest Iowa. So, like, 
my hunting time is very limited. Right. Because I got their boys basketball, football, baseball. Right. How old are they? Ten, nine, and boy, he'll be six next week. So, so you're your balls deep in like kid activities. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, but the um, I shot. You feel if you if you go to well, he's not here right now, but a deer called Combine. Yeah. It's a uh, one of our family farms. I I saw one day. I think he's probably gross at around 200 inches. Yeah. I put an arrow through him. Oh, boy. And uh, hit him high. Yeah. I got out on camera, right above the lungs, right below the loin, just blood and fat on the arrow. Yeah. No blood anywhere else oh. at all. And he gave the mule deer, he gave the mule kick, everything. Yeah. Thought he was dead. I mean, but anyway, I call him Combine because I have awesome trail cam video you'll see at my booth or scrape fix booth even over there they got okay they're promoting him big time it's right. a big drop time and uh biggest deer i've ever seen in person yeah i saw him a week earlier like 200 yards away and i'm like i'm gonna go sit here again he just happened to come by and i shoot a crossbow because my military injury i have right. a, i have a from my torn artery I have had three strokes. Okay. So I have a numb arm and numb leg. Gotcha. The dexterity to pull back a bow and hold it safely yeah. isn't there. So it was about a 48-yard shot yeah. with a raven, and I thought I was – anyway, it must have hit him a little high. Well, I did hit him a little high. And, but he's still alive now. Yeah. Um, well, uh, he was in early January. He had a big drop time, but the drop time broke off. Right. But he's still alive. So right. hopefully – Hopefully he survives, and hopefully either me or one of the neighbors gets a chance at him because he's, he's a great deer. So. How old is he? Uh, there's actually some sheds over at the Scrape Fix booth right now. So I'd say from last year, he's probably six. Six-year-old? Yeah. And what would he go? You said 200? We're thinking 200 probably. Yeah. I mean, I'm not real good at judging deer and the deductions yeah. and all that crap. But yeah. yeah. I, uh, I shot a 200, eh, probably somewhere around 210, hit him high. Well, several years ago and then I tracked him and I lost my shit you know like big buck fever yeah. came and I thought I drilled him and uh, the neighbor killed him the next year and uh, he he was 200 the next year and he was bigger you know obviously the yeah. year before but so I was I hoping he survived so right. like somebody has a chance at him I right. hate to say for him to die from that injury right during the summer right and then right whether it's me or a family member or a neighbor just somebody get him so. right so I always like to ask this question, right? Bow or crossbow or gun. When you have, a, and you knew this deer, because I take it you were running trail cameras. Yep. Right? But he just showed up like a week before I, found, week before I shot him. But yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. So, regardless, you know what a big deer looks like, right? Yeah. 200 inches is freaking huge. Yeah. So, when you're lined up, on this buck, what was going through your head before you pulled the trigger? Like, uh, no one's gonna believe this. <laughs> like, I'm a, I, I mean, I'm a people start creating this page. People think I'm this huge deer hunter. Oh yeah. And like, I mean, I, yeah, I love to hunt, but I'm, a, I'm I don't have like all these 200 inch deer hanging on my wall. Right, I mean, right. So I was like, this is the buck of a lifetime right here. This is right. my this is my chance, and then I effed it up. Oh man. <laughs> so then you you uh, you trail them for what you could, yep. right? Then you you know you have to come to this realization where I got it. I got, I'm giving. I got to give up. I have this deer. Yeah, I trailed him. We yeah. called the neighbors and let them know. And they let me walk their properties just to look. Yeah. And I called the DNR and said, "Hey, send a picture of deer. If you see, if you somebody calls in this deer around this location, I shot it. Yeah, I shot it. Just so yeah. you, not to say that I have to give it to you. Just letting you know it's. Yeah. And um, so yeah, so lucky all the neighbors are good. And, yeah. How that? How now? How did that feel after you pulled the trigger? 
you probably were like, oh, shit, I did it, I did it. Well, as I had the video, a tactic cam, I was yeah. reviewing it, and I was like, oh, he's the mule kick. I mean, you could just tell, yeah. like, he was hit good. And uh, You hit him forward or back? High. I hit him right above the lungs, high. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> they call it no man's land, I right. guess. I've learned a lot about it since then, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. But I guess it's a pretty common. So when you. Because so he ducked. He ducked right, right when I. Under the, do you think it was over the spine? You hit him over the spine? I'm not sure. Because there was blood and fat on the arrow. Right. But there was no right. blood anywhere else. Man. So. I hate hearing stories like that, but at the same time, I love hearing stories like that because it makes me feel not as shitty yeah, about yeah. what happened with yeah. me, you know? So the other, the other thing is after that, after you, you know, screwed up on that buck, you continued to hunt, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So what was the rest of that season like? Uh, so that was, I think that was like October 28th or 29th when right. I shot him. And I actually didn't hunt that farm much more because we were doing some tiling work at our farm and gotcha. stuff. The deer weren't around. Yeah, high pressure. Yeah. yeah. And so I went to other farms and uh, like we do shotgun season with our family. It's more of a deer camp atmosphere. Right. We don't like push or anything. We just kind of sit and hang yeah. around. We actually didn't shoot any bucks at all. And then um, muzzleloader season, uh, I didn't I didn't shoot any muzzleloader season. I was able, fortunately, to take a, a wounded warrior out, veteran, okay. purple cool. heart guy cool. out, and got him a really good buck in Taylor County. Gotcha. Um, with our friend Bill Mansky, went to his place and got that. And that was probably the highlight of my event. And last year, I took a, a uh, one of my former special agents in the Air Force. Um, I was always talking about deer hunting. Right. And she was like, oh, we have big deer in Maryland. And I'm like, you don't have any idea, honey. <laughs> and uh, so last year, she took care of me when I was, my family and I were medevaced and like Walter Reed and stuff. We were back there. And she took care of my family and I from yeah. the Air Force perspective. So I t- took it by myself and brought her back to Iowa. And we got her a giant, giant deer last nice. year. So nice. that's, that's my, I mean, I, I like hunting, but I, I, I enjoy taking people out and right. getting them involved and getting them big deer more than anything. So is that, I mean, you have an injury that prevented you or that um, prevented you from doing your job in the military, right? It was pretty serious, right? Yeah. So because of that, in a way, are you, um, it sounds like you're still involved with veterans. Oh, yeah. I'm gonna start doing, we're going to start doing veteran hunts every year. Right. Just to take veterans out that haven't hunted before or don't have the opportunity to go out as much as they like. And, uh, are you connected with any specific organization that you'd like to shout out? Uh, we did the Military Warriors about Military Warriors Support Foundation is who yeah. we did the hunt with this year. Okay. So we worked with them, and, uh, yeah, it was good. So what do you do now for a living? I'm a cybersecurity guy for a large health insurance company in Iowa. Nice. You'll probably figure that out if you right. <laughs> look it, at the health insurance companies in Iowa. In Des Moines. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> um, so what's that entail? You're so, just on a computer trying to prevent people from hacking. No, well, not really. Um, it's more of a work with a lot of our vendors. Yeah. So... How I equated is when I was in the military, I was I was in charge of keeping our our people from spying on us and stealing our secrets. Ah, I got you. So I kind of equate that to like personal health data. Now is kind of classified information for the health for our right. health insurance companies, and people don't want their social security numbers and their health data getting stolen by hackers. And believe it or not, health data is more valuable right now than any other data. Right. And so I work with our vendors to make sure that they have property, proper network and security controls to make sure that they're protecting our member data. Because yeah. if they're hacked, it's going to come back on my company, not their little company. Right. It's going to come back right. on my company. So that's what I do. So I'm not I'm not techie working on the computers. I'm building relationships with our vendors and gotcha. making sure they're 
following gotcha. proper, proper standards. Now, you have some boys, right? Three boys. Three boys. So, as a hardcore hunter, now you have to start splitting that up, right? Yep. You know, it's no more, like for me, my kids are, I got three kids. They're still young enough where my daughter might share a turkey blind with me this year. Might. Um, she's loud. Yeah. Right? She gets that from her mom's side of the family. But um, how important is it to you now to pass on what you've learned and your experiences as a hunter onto your boys? Oh, I love it. That's my favorite thing. My oldest boy, who shot several deer, shot his first buck two years ago, youth season, when he was eight. Yeah. 170 yards with 20 gauge, and I was looking, it was awesome. Yeah. And uh, turkey hunt last year, he, the other two are still a little younger and smaller, so they're kind of a little, maybe a little gun shy of a big yeah. shotgun, but we, I took him out last year with a turkey fan. And it's the first time either one of us, either him or I used one. Oh, boy. And the, had, the reaping thing. Yep, yeah. Yep. And uh, we had that turkey out there with a the, with the hand. He was with the hand, so he wouldn't come in. So we got, him and I both got behind this turkey fan. We started walking toward it. And we got about 30 yards away, and that Tom, and he, him and I, neither one of us were ready for it. He right. came running straight at us. And my son, like, ah, he kind of peeked around and literally, like, he missed that turkey from, like, four feet away. I oh, mean, boy. like, because there was no time for the right. Right. for the pattern but yeah so we're gonna <laughs> but that, those are the best memories right there I absolutely mean, yeah so we're looking forward to that this year and get my other sons involved so your oldest boy i mean he's sounds fairly comfortable oh yeah right now yep so is there going to be a time when he's like dad i got this like is he is he going to be the independent guy yeah well like right now it's like kind of they're all kind of scared of the dark you know oh, wanna, oh, yeah. we're walking the deer stand in the morning or yeah. walking out at night and it's dark they want to be right by your side right like, nothing's gonna get you right but then i post a mountain lion picture on my facebook page <laughs> <laughs> and they're like oh. you're not after young boys <laughs> yeah. so. that's funny well i tell you what man i really appreciate you taking time to chat with me today I appreciate it appreciate you having me look forward to listen to your future podcast well i am here with buddy my good buddy buddy from uh ozonics and we're at the iowa deer classic today and we are going to be yes first just a little bit and then we're going to talk about the new uh 230 unit yep. that you guys uh, have coming out so getting kind of right into it because it is the ozonics booth is very busy here today and i think not only has the word gotten out about Ozonics, but I mean, that that knowledge is being spread word of mouth throughout all the hunters, and not only here, but across the nation. Everybody I talk to asks me questions about Ozonics right. from the podcast and whatnot, but uh, before we get into all that, how was your 2017 season? You know, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. I, I got to do my first elk hunt which yeah. was a dream of mine and uh so i got to to go to the gila and uh what state with, uh, new mexico new mexico okay. so we hunted the gila national forest and uh which i'm very blessed lucky whatever yeah. you want to call it to be able to step into that type of environment and chase elk uh, and it was a it was a blast i uh I, because I was in the Gila, um, on the fourth day, I passed a, a, about a 280, 290 bull um, because I knew I had five days left. Right. And this is the Gila, right? right it it right. would be like going to Iowa, coming here to <laughs> Iowa and shooting a 110-inch deer when right. I know I know that there's 140s and 50s and two, you know, just yeah. giants walking yeah. around. And so this great opportunity. Um, and it, it, 
it was just I didn't want the experience to end too. So right. it wasn't just about horns, right? right? It was this idea that I was. This is so awesome to, to be in this environment and in this situation, so different than whitetail hunting. Yeah. And uh, but on the last day, I, uh, I had an unbelievable encounter, and, and uh, I can't wait for people to see it. It'll be coming out on our oh. website here pretty soon. Um, with a giant, a double main beam on the right side elk. I've never even seen a double main beam elk. He's got about 40 inches of, of horn, oh, wow. double main beam off of a, his uh, right side that was incredible. And, and I missed him, you know. Oh. It, so nine days of up and down, up and down, <laughs> up and down, and, and, uh, and I miss him. So. I know you were training like crazy I did. for that hunt. I did. Um, so did the training that you did, did – off-season work absolutely you think so oh yeah. it was the physical aspect it was never a, an issue yeah and that that was huge i think uh i I'll buy my and, and we didn't we took breaks in midday uh most of the time so i, I but i did clock over 55 miles up and oh, down wow. and, and uh, over nine days over nine days yeah. 55 miles and uh that taking that aspect out was was huge because yeah. when you needed to turn it on we had a bunch of encounters that were incredible with yeah. uh, other elk that we just either either we couldn't get them in the bow range um uh or we we made a decision that we'd move on that yeah. wasn't a shooter um but i missed a giant and yeah. it was but i wouldn't trade the experience it was and incredible. this was your first elk hunt ever so ever i i kind of have thoughts about that like for my, my personal thoughts but I went on an elk hunt, and we didn't even get close due to the weather. Right. Uh, this was years ago. And I'm going to go out to Colorado this year to elk hunt, and I am going to probably shoot the first elk that walks by just because it's, it's, it's going to be my second ever elk hunt, mm-hmm. and it's going to be my first ever harvest of a species. Not saying that it's guaranteed, but, right. You right. Know, but I've, like... It's not like whitetail for, because I, I live in Iowa and I get to experience Iowa every year. Right. I have something to fall back on, right? But for me, I, I feel like I'm going to, for new species, my, my goal right off the bat is going to be to knock down the first thing that's in front of me, get it under my belt, and then stair step from there. When you, when you passed that elk, like, what, was going, what was going through your mind? Like, I should have shot it or, or what? Well... So that was the fourth day, yeah. and, and a, we had three encounters with that elk, once yeah. at 40 yards, but he never stepped out to give me a broadside shot, gotcha. and, uh, and he left. Yeah. We moved down a different drainage and um, heard him bugle and started a calling sequence, and he came charging downhill. You couldn't see him, but you could hear him just run and crashing, and we set up again real quick, um, but he held up just on the other side of the creek. Yeah. And, and moved on. Yeah. And what he was doing was moving the water late in the afternoon. And we skirted around that same edge and, and caught him. Mm-hmm. And we were on about a 30 or 40 foot cliff. And he was down in this rock drainage. And for 35 minutes, we filmed him waller in that water. And, and at one time, he works up and he starts tearing a, a, a branch or a tree to pieces. And I've got a 45, 55 yard shot and his head's buried in a bush and he's yeah. quartered broadside and so what was going through my head it was this it was this battle right i had i had angel buddy on one side of me and devil buddy on the other <laughs> because i wanted it was a, it was a true struggle because i yeah. wanted to kill him i, yeah. I wanted to, to shoot that elk so bad for the same reasons you just mentioned right. but 
you know, the, the, I just kept running through my head, it's the Gila, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and don't, and again, I know, I, I don't want to trivialize that. It, yeah. it would have been awesome, but I, I just, to your point earlier, I prepared for a year yeah. and, and I, it wasn't wasted on me the fact that I was in a place that was magical. Right. And I knew I had five days left and I was like, you know what? I may, I may regret this, but I'm, I want to keep hunting. And, yeah. and I had some yeah. unbelievable encounters. So right. It was tough. Definitely, definitely the experience, right? I mean, it's not necessarily harvesting an animal that's a success, right? Right. Obviously. So, you, well, did, you just got me fired up for elk. Well, let me say this. You ever, you ever, you know, like when I fish all the time yeah. down in, on the Gulf Coast of Texas, there's a lot of times you touch that fish, you caught him. And, and I've, I've done the same thing with deer where I'm like, I, okay, I killed that deer. I killed him, right? Yeah. I could have drew on him, or yeah. I did draw on him. I yeah. let down, and I'm like, that's a dead deer. That's success. And so in yeah. my head, I, I believe. Now, of course, there's a lot of things that could have happened. Right. right. But in my head, that that was a dead elk, and I, I made the decision to pass him. So so there there was a, a, a harvest there, but yeah. it was a mental harvest. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know? That makes a lot so. of sense. That makes a lot of sense. What about whitetails? Whitetail. So I, I did not. I, I only got to hunt two days in Texas, okay. and uh, I seen zero deer in them two days. And I had a I had a couple pigs sneak in, but it was uh it, I, I was hunting on the the edge of a, a, a tree line right on a cut, and apparently the neighbor had his rifle with him while I was bow hunting. They hadn't hunted this place in years, and yeah. and about the time these pigs were working their way in, he opens up probably on the rest of the pigs with right. a rifle and. That was my Texas hunts this year, but I did get to go back to Northern Saskatchewan That's and hunt right. with That's right. with uh, Dean Partridge and Jason Peterson of uh, of Canadian Whitetail fame. Uh, and I saw the pictures. I, you know, I <laughs> he I, the third day, and so last year when I went, it was like Texas weather up there. They were kind of like, man, it's it's in the 30s and 40s, and I was like, thank God, because yeah. I don't like being cold. I'm a Texas boy. This year it was cold, yeah. and and last year my hunt ended in. 55 minutes this year i did the whole saskatchewan 10 hours sun up to sundown for two days the third day um I, so if we indulge me for a minute the the spot i was on last year or this year was the same spot i took uh, the um, crowbar buck last right. year and they took me back there and there was a six point buck there that was one of the most incredibly beautiful deer i've ever seen he he had, he had a, a, not a small rack, but he was just this, I mean, imagine uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Conan the Barbarian, right? Yeah. Just yeah. muscle rippled jack. This buck, and the meanest buck. I've never, I've seen bucks go after other bucks in, when they're rutting, but this guy would go after a doe the same way. He'd put his head down and try to kill him if they didn't get out of the way. I'd never seen that. Just very aggressive. The most aggressive deer I've ever seen, and he, and he ruled that place for two days. I had him in front of me one time for five hours, and the next day for five and a half hours. Yeah. He would never leave that, that area. And, and so I went back and told him, I said, hey, I mean, if I had two tags, I would, I would dream about taking this buck, right. but I don't. I got one. So right. I, and, and he's, there isn't a buck in this forest that's going to take him off of there. Yeah. Right? Man, I tell so, you what, there's something about – you know, big big antlers are awesome, but there is something about a gigantic bodied deer coming through the timber or prairie or wherever you hunt that just makes a guy stop and it, it is in true awe of mature, of a mature animal. Right. Well, you know, you played the card game where you hold the card on your forehead and you can't see it. <laughs> well, that that deer believed with all his heart he's three hundred inch right. giant. 
because he carried himself. He was the baddest deer in the forest. Right. And uh, it was incredible to watch his behavior and to really see how the other deer reacted around him. I, I, I remember there was a young 10-point that would skirt the edges and try to try to you know work them does that he was that he had harmed up and, yeah. and interestingly enough would try to kill if they got too close but i, I remember uh, friday the 13th where jason all the kid people would run and he would walk and <laughs> no matter and they, how fast and this is how this buck would be that 10 point would run and run and that buck would just walk and it's like he was always on him you know it, it was really really neat to see that type of behavior but anyway i moved on wednesday so yeah. they put me in a new spot about 20 miles away yeah the other direction and it was uh very different deer behavior because i'd been hunting in the forest mm -hmm. and the deer are you know a lot of them deer have never seen a human where i was hunting before but now i'm hunting this gigantic clear cut where the wolf pressure is real big too because oh, the deer yeah. get out there yeah so the i had the opposite the deer were very very nervous and uh, they had told me that they had seen a, a buck that had been nocturnal yeah. uh, with a, what they called the flyer buck and about 10 o'clock that morning, he come in, but it took him 32 minutes to work into the into the shooting range. Very cautious. And well, he, he started in um, on a favorable or a, or not a favorable wind mm -hmm. for him. Yeah. And he works all the way downwind. Now he wasn't downwind of us. He, yeah. he didn't get. We we were in a good position for that. Even if he had, we had the Ozonics running, of course, yep. just like yep. we always do. We're hunting out of blinds, and it's just incredible what you can do in blinds. So I was never worried about that, but it was really cool to watch a mature buck in this situation where it's clear-cut, so he knows he's, he's uh, he faces different dangers than in the forest, Right. and watch how spooky he was, work downwind, and then come in, and, right. uh, and took him and couldn't have been happier. Again, that's two years in a row in Canada, which saved my season both years, the deer yeah. in Canada. So after Canada, you know, you were successful in Canada. Did you go to any other states or? No. Nope. Last year we just were so busy with, um, obviously with Ozonics yeah. and, and a lot of the stuff. That's our busiest time of the year. And then, uh, um, you know, I still railroad for a living. That's and, right. And That's so right. Uh, the, between the two, it's been a lot of fun. And so my, uh, my season was cut short a little bit again. Yeah. Now, and that's a good transition, uh, speaking on, you know, some how busy Ozonics, the, the company and brand was, you guys went direct, Correct. all right? So talk to everybody about what that means for you guys as far as a, a company that was retail and now is transitioning to direct-to-consumer type of marketing. Okay, so, you know, that's a that's a very complex right. question, right? right. But but. Um, I, I think the most appropriate answer to that is the fact that we do have a very technical technical product, right? Absolutely. Um, and it does require some explanation a lot of times. So, you know, there's a lot of people that may know about ozone, and there's a lot of people that know about hunting, but there's very few people that know how to a lot about hunting with ozone. Right. Now that's changing, right? But Absolutely. We, as you said earlier, that across the nation, people, the dialogue has changed from uh, from the what is ozone to okay, how do I use ozone right. to, to right. in my in my hunting regimen, right? Right. And uh, but that's an eleven year journey for us right now. That's right. what people don't know. This, yeah. this oh, ozone's here. Well, the, you know, we brought ozone to market in two thousand and seven. Right. And here we are in two thousand and eighteen. Yeah. Now, so I, I I explain that to come full circle and say that. In the retail environment, and, and I'm, I'm very thankful for all the opportunity we had in the retail environment, especially the mom and pop stores and, um, and what they, they did. 
However, we turned over the responsibility for educating the hunter to those third parties um, for all these years, and and really, it's uh, it, it, they it's a difficult conversation a lot of times, right. and and nobody can do it better than us, right? right? And so, um, and quite frankly. Work operating in a retail environment has its has its pluses and yes. it also has its drawbacks. And one of yeah. those drawbacks was it inhibited our ability to innovate at a, at a speed we would love to innovate at. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, it also created a price point um, structure that that you know obviously people are like, well, man, that's a lot of money, and uh, you know. I, there's a lot of conversation around that. I don't. I when you understand how it changes everything and the opportunity it cr- can create for yeah. you, it's not a lot of money. Right. But there is a conversation there in retail. Um, the retail environment tended to elevate that some, and you'll see as moving yeah. forward that that gives us opportunity that we're able to pass down to the consumer, absolutely, um, and uh, to the hunter. And uh, so the decision to go direct from retail, not a lot of people have done that that have experienced the same success um, in retail and then to walk away from that. Um, but we, we believe it's the right thing to do because we can bring the best products at a speed we would like to speed at the best price point. All right, absolutely. And I tell you what, when it comes to going to like a Cabela's or a Bass Pro shop, I just, my experience um, is you go there and you talk to some 17-year-old kid who is not a participant in the outdoors. He's there because it's his job. Right. right? It's, he doesn't know about how an ozone works and how the deer are affected by it or any sporting good for that matter. Right. So I think that's a smart move on your part to take the education direct. You guys are now 100% responsible for the education Correct. of the product to the consumer. Correct. So I think that's... Uh, it's a big task, obviously, but I think it's uh, it's the right. Well, you know, right. we've we've spent 11 years, and we've we've spent an enormous amount of effort and time and money to yeah. educate and to support the the retail environment. But again, at the very end, the most important critical piece, we had turned that responsibility for the relationship over to the retailer. Well, we've as a vertical retailer because that's what we are now, right? Mm-hmm. We're responsible for the idea the manufacturing, the marketing, and the sale of the product now, and then the support of the product. From start to finish, that's our job now. We don't return that responsibility over anybody. We own that, and education and application of the technology is is what, first off, I love that piece, right? Talking about hunting with people that that love it. In the end, nobody cares about ozone, right? Right. They care about having this wonderful experience with with a majestic animal in the woods, and all of us, if we can if we can get our hands on tools that increase those opportunities or create those opportunities we're going to do that yeah and it, i think the the snowball effect here is like you always say it creates more opportunities while you're in the tree standard in the blind right. right and those opportunities aren't just opportunities at that point in time you know it could be a kid's first time ever hunting and that day his dad took him out and that day the kid gets hooked because he saw more deer that's right and i just you know it's i think it has it's a bigger this product is bigger than just a a machine that puts ozone out correct so speaking of the product itself you guys have a new unit out this year 
We do. We uh, so we we've evolved the uh, the HR 200 series, yep. and we've introduced a new HR 230 to replace the the workhorse HR 200 we've had since 2010. Um, and so the primary difference is we've introduced Coyote Brown, so it's a kind of a new look. Yeah. And and we've also incorporated the dry wash mode that we have on the HR the flagship HR 300. We've incorporated that into the 230 series. Which it's a it's a slower process because it doesn't produce as much ozone as a 300. So it's about a 20 minute automatic cycle for treating your gear pre hunt and post hunt um, for deodorizing, and that's obviously the dry wash mode uh, aspect of it. And so those are the primary differences. Um, and and you'll see the uh, even though we've introduced and added technology, we've been able to bring the price point down on both units uh, this year to a 449 price point on the HR 300 and a 349 price point on the HR 230. Okay. All right. And I would be I would be doing my listeners unjustly if I didn't ask if the direct to consumer change is going to affect the price of the units overall. Well, it just did right there. Yeah. That's a that's an instant $50 give back we're able to awesome. to do because it, our our price was 499 and 399. Now last year people did see we were we we were running um, sales for 399 and 299 um, and that's what those were sales. Mm-hmm. Now and, and we once the season was over we're back up and running. What what you'll see is um, there'll be a lot of incorporation into a system, right? The right. system of the kinetic pack style on ozone, ozone on the move, right? To and from your stand, incorporate that into the active process of using ozone while on the move. And then right. the passive aspect of the dry wash bag. And so you, what that this gives us the ability to provide and help outfit the consumer with the entire package, both passive and active scent control. Right, right. I tell you what, man. This year, and I, I had this conversation with Scott earlier about the dry wash bag and how I used it this year more than I've ever used it. And what I think this, what it translates to, and my experience this year was, I, the dry wash bag, it smells like ozone. You're 100% clean when you go into the timber. It allows you to use access points and exit routes multiple times, sit in a tree stand multiple times, and I think you can hunt stands without burning them out more. Right. So, again, deer use their nose right. much like we use our eyes, right? right. It's, it is their primary defense mechanism. Right. And it, anything you can do to reduce your odor footprint reduces the amount of mm-hmm. education you're, you're giving your deer, right. right? And when you do that, then, you know, for lack of a better term, the dumber your deer are, the greater your opportunities for being successful. Right. Even if it's just one time. That's Because exactly it just right. takes one time. That's well, right. Mr. Buddy, I really appreciate you taking time to chat with me today. Man, Dan, I've known you for a long time, and I always <laughs> enjoy having the conversations. All right, I am still in the Ozonics booth, and I am sitting here with a guy that I've known for a long time, Mr. Craig Intervold. How you doing, man? Good, good, Dan. Good you're, to see you. You're a returning guest on the podcast, and the last time I talked with you, well, we've, we've exchanged some emails, but the last time I think I had a phone conversation with you, on your property up north or something, you had a really heavy rain, and it washed out a whole bunch of gravel or 
like broke your dock or something? Yeah, uh, no, my hill going down to the water. That's it's right. A, just, it just did a total washout. It was epic <laughs> and almost biblical. It just took everything out, all the work we did, just took all the rock out and left me with a pretty big mess. So, so did you get it fixed? It's fixed now. Okay, good. Planted yeah. grass instead. So good, good. Yeah, echo the rocks. Now, how was your season this year, 2017 season? Well, it... You know, I, I joined the Ozonics team last July. Right, right. Okay. <clears throat> and we've been doing consumer shows now, so obviously my, my voice is actually going because <laughs> I've been talking all the time. But anyhow, so excuse me for that. But the the I started with Ozonics last July. Right. <clears throat> July, August time. And October turned into the busiest month. My favorite month to hunt because I love to hunt waterfall and yep. upland birds in North Dakota and, and my lake place over in Minnesota there. So... I put in almost 170 hours with Ozonics in October alone with customer service, talking about guys if they have issues with troubleshoot and things like that. And, and so October kind of flew by, but I had my, probably my my best opportunity on, on a buck that I've been watching for three years. Right. And I had the two biggest bucks on the property, both at full draw the same morning. A really wide 24-inch buck and this other 150-inch buck that I had... I had properly named and and anyhow 12 yard shot my bottom cam bumped it bumped a limb and kicked my arrow over his back and it's like you couldn't have scripted a better picture perfectly broadside this is a five and a half year old uh six by six 150s and i just it was the most epic miss of my entire life yeah and it kind of demoralized but from that point on the the deer ended up getting shot Mm -hmm. during the rifle season a couple weeks later and so I lost that one. But the rest of the season was kind of tough. It's just it, it's a little bit warmer. Yeah. And it was just a different kind of rut up there this year. And I just I just didn't have the traveling patterns on deer as I typically would there. Yeah. And then, uh, so this was the first year. I've had, I mean, I've had great seasons every year. And this is the first season that just really, really whipped me. Yeah. And uh, Well, it kind of... I've had those seasons. I, I'm on a, I'm on back-to-back kill years, right? So this year, I, or 2017, I killed. 2016, I've killed. But I've had those four, five-year dry spells before where it just, it, you, you question yourself on how, you know, you, you question everything that's kind of happening, why why you bow hunt and stuff like that. When, when you had that struggle, you know, of, a tough season or a miss like that what kind of goes through your head after that happens well it's one of those it's trying to get back on the horse right. and, and make something good happen again right i'm i'm, I'm doing that return trip to alaska for moose again oh, in, in yes. september i've got that coming back up so i'm actually geared up for that and, right and you know it, it's, it's kind of got when you go on a hunt like that it's it's one of those you, you try to get back into the groove of things it's it's such a life-changing experience it's trying to get back and then Climbing a tree stand in October after you just got back from a, an epic float trip in Alaska right. is a hard thing. So I'm really, really putting effort into getting ready for that hunt coming up. Awesome. And so it's, it's, it's a great area. We have great success there, and I'm really looking forward to that. But the deer that are that were there last year, other than the one buck, they're back. I've got some great deer in the property. I'm looking for a really good fall coming up. So it's getting back on the horse, getting something out of the way, and you know, so hoping to tip a moose over in September and then get back on with, with deer again in October. So. so I'm trying to think here. You've also done some mule deer and some elk hunts in the past as well. Is your Alaska hunt this year going to be your only out-of-state hunt, or are you thinking about doing some elk or uh, 
No, I've, I, I've got a spot out in Oregon that we, it's a really good elk spot. Oh, It'd have to be one of those that I'd have to get up because elk is kind of that 10th to the 20th of September. Right. The moose hunt starts the 14th of September. Gotcha. They might conflict a little bit, but if I can squeeze out and put a few days in on elk in September, I'll do that hunt. So after I get back, like it's 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 a kind of a re-entry syndrome yeah. when you go on such a really great deal, trying to like get pumped up for for whitetails after what you've done. So. But you take a few weeks, you get you get back on board. I got a new lab puppy coming next week, and I'll be hunting pheasants in October and nice. doing that, and then and then getting with the whitetail again by mid October to the end there. So right. Yeah. So you have you have grandchildren, right? Two, yeah. two. Okay, yeah. how old are they? Uh, I've got my <clears throat> grandson's gonna be four in the end okay. of March. Okay. And my granddaughter will be nine months. Okay. All right. I thought you had uh, I thought you had for some reason some older grandchildren, oh. but but. Uh, so you also fish, right? Oh yeah, I live on a lake. Yep, that's right. So, yep. have you gotten your, your four-year-old granddaughter uh, or son? Uh, grandson. Grandson out on the boat with you and done oh, some yeah. fishing. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's all about catching fish and grabbing them by the mouth. He doesn't like northern pike because we call them <laughs> water wolves, and because the wolf and the teeth and stuff, yeah. he really avoids those. But he uh, he just loves to fish. Yeah. Loves to drive the boat. Loves to drive ATVs up there, and he's all about that. My daughter just turned five, and her favorite thing to do is um, in northeast Iowa, my in-laws have a, a trailer on the Mississippi, and they, my, my father-in-law has a boat, and he lets my daughter and my son drive it, and it's like, they, they come home, and they tell those that story to anybody who listens, like waiting in line at the grocery store, my grandpa let me drive a boat this weekend, and uh, that... That is so much fun. Oh, yeah. It's it, everything for me. It's yeah. like you seeing my grandson come up because I didn't. I had two daughters. I didn't. I, I always wanted a son yep. to, to do all this stuff with me, and the daughters didn't really take on to it. So I really, really want to pound the outdoors into my my grandson. Everything. And he was hopping on starting my ATV at two. Wow. I bought him his a little Polaris 50cc and a sticker on the thing that says you can't drive it unless you're <laughs> six or older. He's three and he's driving it. Ripped so, it off. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's just absolutely. I want to. about it. I kind of want to backtrack here a sec, and I want to talk about this moose hunt again. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have to change any type of mindset? Like, not only, you know, because a deer hunt, you can go home at the end of the hunt, you get to sleep in your bed. Um, this is a completely different hunt. You get flown in, right, at a drop Correct. camp, Correct. and you're out in God's country without. I mean, you got a satellite phone, right? Correct. Correct. Okay, so just in case that's an emergency, but that emergency could be hours and hours. Exactly. Right? So what kind of mindset do you either have to be prepared for or decompress from on this moose hunt? Okay, well, most guys that ask me about it, it's like it's the preparation because you have to bring all the food with you. Right. So you got to you got to cook for ten days. You got to prepare for you know, not only like packing out the animal because you got to be physically fit because that country up there is just brutal. Right. And, a, and an elk, or I'm sorry, a moose quarter, a rear quarter will push 130 to 140 pounds. You can't debone meat there. You got to put it all on your back. You got to transport it out. So you got multiple trips with you know four quarters and a hide and antlers and stuff. So you can be physically prepared for it. On top of like you know every night you're sleeping on the ground yeah. and you're in an area that it's, it's grizzly bear country and black bear country. So you got to be prepared that what happens if, if a bear smells moose meat and smells your camp and you, so you're dealing with that all the time. Any noise in the middle of the night, it's like what was it? Right. Is there a bear? Right. And so you're always thinking about that stuff. Was preparing. I've, I've seen the most. It'll be my sixth trip up there. Uh, to Alaska on these float trips and 
And, uh, you know, we're, we're 100 miles in from the Bering Sea, so there's sometimes you get weather that I can't even describe that you see up in Minnesota or North Dakota. It's unbelievable weather that can just roll in on you. Right. And so you're prepared for that. So you get, you're limited to 100 pounds of food and gear and, and your, your archery equipment. And so you gotta, you got to have just the right amount of, of, of clothing for you. you got the right amount of food. And uh, you got to be prepared for all that stuff just in case something happens because I've had some encounters up there that it just like things can change on a dime yeah. and, and not in your favor. Yeah. So being prepared for that. On top of that, there's predators up there that would kill you if mm -hmm. they got the opportunity oh, yeah. to. So, and I don't, I think about this every once in a while when I'm walking to my tree stand or walking back from my tree stand. And that's an extra element of preparedness that you have to be, you know, prepared for. And uh, so, is that something that's always in the back of your mind knowing that or do you ever find yourself getting complacent with your thoughts when you're so focused on hunting moose that oh my god i see a bear over there or you know one sneaking up on you or anything mm -hmm. like that yeah we do we do we, we usually carry a, a a sidearm up there they won't let you fly in in bear mace or anything so you you're allowed to take a firearm with you so we will take a handgun with us or some there might be another guy that have a rifle on the hunt yeah and so that's always there and it's it's next to us in the tent Nice. You know, as we just really don't want to take a chance with them because when, once you get that older in there, like last time we floated out of there with, with uh, three moose in our, in, our, in, our, in our rafts, rubber rafts, and, and it was like midday and there were wolves howling. They, they caught the scent of all the moose carcasses around the area and wolves that established in there. We didn't hear a wolf until we were just ready to leave. They found us. Yeah. You know, so in a matter of time, a bear gets a mile from you, smells a moose kill, he's on you. So when you hang your meat up after a kill, say you kill a moose the second day, you got eight days to have that meat hanging. And every time you walk into that, that meat pile, you always think, is there a bear laying on that? And you're always, you're always on edge that it might be there. And it's just, you just don't want to deal with those animals sometimes. And <laughs> I'm one of those. It's like, you're, it, it, you know they're there, right. but you're just hoping you don't have to encounter them. But you see them all the time. Right. So you're there for eight days. How's that work with hanging meat for eight days? Is there a special process that you have to do to, like, make sure that meat doesn't spoil? Oh, yeah. Great question because the weather is typically, you know, upper 30s to... Oh, okay. mid-upper 40s so it right. gets cool enough at night so we put them in game bags and we'll hang them a meat pole yeah. and we'll take rope up so we'll hang the meat from poles in the shade there's still leaves on trees there and if there's not we'll, we'll take a tarp to right. create shade in there so it, it keeps the meat perfect for that amount of time because right. if you bring meat back and it's spoiled they force you to fly that meat home and you pay for it oh wow you know everything so you're really careful on how you hand, handle the meat up there yeah keep it cool Keep the bugs off it, and um, you're good to go. Right. All right, so moose hunt, you got that coming up. Um, you might be going elk hunting again. Just just for the listeners, how old are you? Um, 56. 56, okay. Do you have, and you're retired, do you have any bucket list hunts that you're thinking about or starting to plan for or you know, hey, I'm retired now, which you're really not retired. I mean, you're, yep, work, you're, those you're, onyx, you're yep. working again. But do you have anything in your head that, like, any ideas that you're playing around with? Yeah, well, I, just, I had two bucket list animals in my life. And it, it, moose is always a bucket list animal for people. But one wasn't enough. Two wasn't enough. And I'm going again. It, it gets into <laughs> you so much, Dan. I just got to do it again because right. I physically can. Because a time in your life will come when you can't physically do it anymore. Right. Unless you go on a fully guided hunt. These are all do-it-yourself drop camps. 
And so I, I just I want to get these things out of the way. I did my my second bucket list and was a mountain goat. Yeah. And I got one of those up on the Kenai here a few years ago. But sometime I, I want to shoot a sheep. Yeah. And you know I got a dull sheep kind of back in there, but. If I got a call, like last year, I had a call, a dropped hunt uh, on a deal on a bighorn sheep up in, in B.C., yeah. almost on it. But it's like I needed time to prepare and get in shape for it, running hills and stuff. And I didn't. I wasn't prepared, and yeah. so I didn't go. But I really, at some time in my life, I want to, while I still can, I want to do a sheep hunt. Yeah. Yeah, just one. It's yeah. like one of those things, you get it out of the way. It's like I did my two buckets, now those are out of the way. It's, you know, I just, in the back of my mind, I said, I really like the show. You know, you know, throw a sheep hunt in there somehow. Is that a preference point deal, or is that no, over the counter? That's an over the counter there, but it's it's got to be a guided hunt. That's they don't. Right. It's not a. You just can't go up there and do it yourself and do a sheep hunt. You got to go through with an outfitter. Right, and that's probably better to go through Canada than the U.S. because I think almost all the goats are sheep, and I'm not an expert on draws or whatnot, but. Mm-hmm. I think all those are preference point hunts. Yep, and, and, down in the States, yeah. Yeah, and Bighorn, you have to use a guide or an outfitter as well. Yep, so yep. it just takes time. And some of these guys that I've been talking to, especially at the ATA show, these guys were talking about how they had 13 years or more worth of points to go on some of these hunts. And it's like that, investing that much time and money into one of these hunts and then not being prepared for it, they're like, you give up everything else that year for that specific hunt. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. done. You, yeah. Your preparation, everything. It's just, and you wait a long time. As I know that the point system, but but life passes you by. Yeah. And a time will come when I cannot physically do a hunt like right. that, especially if it's to do it yourself. Right. And so I'm really kind of in this mode. I, 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 I take good care of myself, and I run hills and, and keep in shape. I can still do that. But a day will come where it's like, you can't do it anymore so i really kind of look at it that's kind of like the time clock is running out for some of those things but there's always the guide and the outfitter thing that they do a lot of this stuff for you but at the same time if i wait for a preference point thing it might be i might not get it till i'm 65 and then i probably can't do it anymore so i really want to do it while i can that's that's the exact same thing i'm kind of thinking about right now because I sit in a chair all day long, and I have, I'm starting to develop back problems because of it. I have shitty knees from athletics in, in school, and, I'm, and I've talked to my buddy Tim Kent, who was on a, who's been on the podcast before, and he's like, I'm, I'm doing these hunts while I still physically can. And that's kind of what motivates me to try to somewhat stay in shape and, and do, uh, you know, for some of these hunts. Like this year, I'm going to Colorado to hunt elk, and it's in some very steep stuff, and I will... I probably won't be as prepared as I need to be for it. I'm mm-hmm. going anyway, mm-hmm. but because it is kind of an over-the-counter thing, there's no points or anything. So, yeah. And any other animal that you can think of that might be of interest to you? Well, I just I, there's trips? always there's always that that big mule deer. Oh you yeah. Know, I've done antelope out west. I've, I've had some success with antelope, and there's always that big mule deer in the back yeah. of my mind that you know you just like. You just you want to go somewhere where the, the, the opportunity for really really good 180 to 200 inch yeah. type mule deer be yeah. present there. Yeah. You know so yeah that's that's there also, and but I always I'm kind of looking at that the hills and the the effort you put into the hunt those I, I want out of the way, and then later on I'll start looking okay I can do a mule deer hunt so it's not you know it's not quite the same terrain as you're going to find in Alaska. Right. And so I'm kind of maybe look at that for later but but yeah it's always in the back of my mind it's something I want to do. Yeah. Big mule deer is definitely on my bucket list yep, as well. Cor- I mean, unbelievable looking animals. And I just like, I just like, I was like, I gotta have at some point, gotta get one of those. Right, right. 
Well, I tell you what, I appreciate you taking time out of your day today to uh, chat with me. Yeah, it's good to talk to you again, Dan. And there you have it. Another podcast in the books. Huge shout out to Eric, Buddy, and Craig for hopping on and uh, basically just BSing with me for a little bit. Really appreciate those guys taking time to do that. Hopefully you enjoyed that. I'm repeating myself, but I had fun. I always like going to those things, having fun, talking to people with, uh, you know, who who I share the same interests in, and that is hunting whitetail or just hunting and fishing in general. Everybody that goes there is an outdoorsman, and uh, dude, I just have an absolute bat blast. I cannot talk. I'm having a horrible day talking today, so let's wrap it up. Huge shout out to each and every one of you for taking time to download this pod- podcast. Huge shout out to Bighorn Outfitters, Lone Wolf, Ozonics, Gearhead, Wasp, Exodus Trail Cameras. Please go out and support those companies because they support this podcast. And without them, uh, you're getting a lot less of this. So go check those companies out. Other than that, guys, it's that time of year where, you know, take the family out shed hunting go and do something with them so you can build up those brownie points for the fall and uh you know it's something it's something to do with the whole family shed hunting if uh, if you have the opportunity to do something like that if not go for a walk in the woods go for a hike do something like that uh, involve the family uh and if you're single you're one lucky guy <laughs> because enjoy that shit while it lasts because it doesn't last forever or unless you're going to stay single forever then it will last forever and then you're a better man than me other than that if you're going to be in a tree please wear your damn safety harness have a good week